This is the Kingdom Movement Podcast, a place where we will explore through conversation how discipleship, theology, and community really can transform our world. said, let's make human beings in our image, as our likeness, so they can hold sway over the fish in the sea, over the birds in the heavens, over the animals, over all the earth, and over all the things that move on the earth. So God created human beings in his image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, be numerous, fill the earth and subjugate it. Hold sway over the fish in the sea, over the birds in the heavens, and over every creature that moves on the earth. God said, Here I give you all the plants that generate seed that are on the face of all the earth, and every tree with fruit that generates seed. These will be food for you, for all the creatures of the earth, for all the birds in the heavens, and for all the things that move on the earth, that have living breath in them, all the green plants as food. So it came to be, God saw all that he had made, and there it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So, Paulo, that was Genesis 1, 26 through 31. And so basically, um, for our listener, we are starting our very long but very exciting um, The Biblical Story series. We're hoping to make it eight episodes. It's hard to condense the Bible into anything small. Um, But basically, this episode, we're going to focus primarily on the biblical story of creation, fall and God's response to these kind of opening stories. So basically what we just read is kind of humanity's beginning, right? The origin story. Um, But before we maybe dive into kind of like the human story and what God plans for that, um, I know Genesis, if you've ever opened the Bible, normally when you read a book, right, you're you're about to read a story, you start at page one, Um, you know, start in the middle of the book. So I think a lot of people who are first curious or first interested in reading their Bible, they open the page one, right? And here's the Genesis narrative. And it's exciting. It's action-packed. It's full of biblical imagery. Um, but it also creates a lot of questions, right? Uh, and I think, you know, we don't want to ignore it. We live in a quote-unquote scientific age. And it seems like there's always a battle between science and faith, um, at least how the dynamic's been set up. But um, just for you guys, the listeners' purposes, we're not here to try and discuss, like, was it a literal seven days? Was it a figurative seven days? Um, because really, when the biblical writers wrote Genesis, that wasn't the question that they were trying to answer. And so that's more of what we want to explore. What was the Genesis account, uh, specifically the creation account? What was the purpose of it, right? Why did the authors feel like it was important? Um, and really, I would say it's about this idea of a creator God, yes. right? And Paulo, you just recently shared um, at a local church here in Botswana uh, a really powerful message. And I kind of wanted to maybe allow you to share the beginning part, kind of how you set the tone for that, because I think it really is a a beautiful picture of what God's trying to do in this narrative. Yes. Uh, One thing I've realized is as Christians, at least for us who grew up as Christians, you know, we grew up reading the Bible and we end up getting into it 
uh, a stage where we don't question a lot of things in the mm. Bible. We just like, oh, this is just one of the weird thing about the Bible, and we just skip it. You know, we skip. We go to the other things that we we understand. You know, we skip books, weird mm. books like Leviticus. You know, no one wants to read Leviticus and everything. But yeah, uh, but I am a journalist. I I studied journalism. You know, so questioning things is kind of part of me. I think in questions. And one of the big questions is when Jesus, uh, when Jesus is praying in John, uh, he says, "Father, you loved me even before the creation." Hmm. And for me, I'm like, "What that means? Yeah. You know, what does it mean when Jesus says, "Father, you loved me even before the creation?" And then with that, just reading, going back and start reading, I just realized this amazing thing. You know, when Jesus says that, Jesus is saying that. God is being loving, God, Father, the third person of the, mm. of the Trinity, you know, he has been loving him even before the creation, you know. Yeah. So with that, you start to understand that the concept of love, when John, when John says God is love, that means that the concept of love, God is the one who created that, you know. Mm. God is the one who invented what is love, you know, by him splitting himself into three, you know, and then in that he starts showing love to his to to the son through the holy spirit and as the holy spirit is these messages of love to to the son and then it's with that concept you know it just look as like man this is amazing thing that uh we're doing here love is so is so great so it's with that concept of love that is that like man i think we should invite someone to be part of mm -hmm. this love you know i think we should create someone who can come and enjoy this love, you know, and just like this, 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 this parent, you know, who really cares about the person, who really cares about this new baby that is coming, he creates this amazing place, you know, a perfect place so that the, the new son can come and have all these things, all the food, everything that he will need, and then so that he can come and enjoy that love. So I just felt like, that's the idea, that's where you, you have to start, if you want to start in Genesis, you know, you have to have that idea of love, that it starts with love, with this father who has been loving his son, and then you say like, no, we have to invite someone else to be part of this yeah. love. No, I think that is a super good point. And something that's really, really interesting is throughout the biblical story, and even from the world that we can see, love is always a creative force. Love always intends to multiply, to create, to be fruitful. Whereas, you know, evil or what we would say as sin is always a destructive. It usually always is, not usually, it is always taking something in exchange for something mm -hmm. else. And so the creator God, you know, you see in his very character out of a love that just as you've explained, decides not just to keep that to himself, yes. but desires to invite something else into it, to to multiply in a sense. And you know, I think it's really cool, like the verse we just read a few moments ago, it says that he creates them in his image, male and female. Um, even with this idea that like, with human love, the male and female aspect together from their love, create new life, exactly. you know? And that's, and, you know, I've heard on campus before this idea of mother God or whatever. Wow. And you know, it, it's a twisting, just like all, false doctrine or whatever evil or lies are twisting of the truth in a way and i believe that god is nurturing he's caring he's given birth to life you know jesus in the bible describes birthing pains of god's new world coming into existence 
So God is not unashamed, or God is not ashamed to be associated with feminine qualities because females were made in his image. But it's this idea that this God created us to be like mm-hmm. him, to bear his image. Um, and really, you know, from my perspective, a lot of biblical perspectives, I've really come to believe this is what the Genesis narrative is all about. That this creator God, like you said, have it, has created these human beings. And I believe it said three times in his image. It's like the Genesis authors making sure we know we are created in the image of God. Yeah. You better remember that. Yes. And, and one thing uh, I was, I, when I was preparing the preaching, one thing I, I, I learned is, you know, God, he is a father. You know, like he is like, he is a really good father. And he, he has the characteristic of like a father who is trying to provide, mm. you know, is teaching them, hey, do this this way, do this this yeah. way, do that this way, you know. But it also have that caring side, you know, that we we can find in our mothers, you know. He has that that that, that caring side, you know, someone who really cares, someone who's not who is not yelling, you know. Mm. It's like he he want to cuddle, you know. When you go yeah. to pray, you know, for some reason when you when you you start praying. You just feel like there is this person hugging you, you know, you know, yeah. and then you just feel like, oh, this is amazing. So I just feel like the image of the the the, the Adam and Eve, you know, is just God, you know, putting in these two people, you know, some of his his character, you know, I will put in this person, you know, in in the in the in the woman, you know, the character of caring, you know, the character of just coming and really care about the person mm. and then i'll put in this guy the character of like just providing and just teaching and all these things and authority you know? yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's really really uh an interesting image that genesis is painting um and something i've you know probably within the last few years really discovered um through uh there's a great video by bible project we'll include it in the bio and throughout this series um just a quick spin off here um, we are doing the broad brush story, right? We're not going to try and go into the nitty gritty details. We'll do maybe individual episodes about some of those things, but really we're trying to paint, our intention is to paint a big narrative picture that you can see from page one of the Bible all the way to the end, right? In Revelation that can help you, the listener, basically have a framework, a like a skeleton to work with as you read the Bible to understand what exactly is this story, because the Bible is a story. Um, it's not just a bunch of random happenings that people decide to say God did something cool, but it is a story of how God is redeeming his creation. Yes, yes. And so um, to say all that, you know, there's, there's things that or resources we might point you to that will help you understand in more detail specific things that have happened in the bible you know and we'll maybe just mention some of those things in passing yeah. here in this podcast but one of the things that i feel like the creation narrative um really is trying to say without saying and i think this is something that i've learned in uh, botswana there's a lot of things that go um that are said without being said yes. if that makes sense mm-hmm. and i would say there's a bit of that in american culture but uh, not as much. Just tell me how you feel. Just say it as it is. You know what I mean? Don't be coy about it. But the biblical narrative is not like that. It's full of kind of these images that are saying something without bluntly putting it in front of your face. And one of those is this idea of temple. Mm-hmm. So, yes. you know, in the ancient literature, the world in which the Bible is written, right? So I think we have to understand that with the, bi- the biblical narrative in the Bible itself. It's written in a cultural context, right? 
So the people who are writing the Bible don't live in a vacuum. It's not like they live in a bubble where the outside world never touches them, that the writing styles, the influences of how to say things, you know, is coming from the outside as well as within the the biblical narrative culture, if that makes sense. Just like there are things in the Bible that don't make sense to us today because they're not culturally relevant, the, the example that's given. But the meaning behind them is the same that can relate to us. Um, and one of those things is this idea of temple. Now, mm-hmm. I think in most of the modern world, there's not, you know, like temples that maybe in the Eastern kind of religions. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but, you know, there's there's not a temple in the States that you go to to go where maybe we call our churches the temple of God. But it's different, right? Yes. Because there was only one temple or there were temples dedicated to specific gods. And each of these temples that was dedicated to this God inside that temple the the priests or whoever would place an image and that image was basically this is what's super interesting the representation so it wasn't just to them it wasn't just a piece of stone it was the literal manifest representation of that god in the physical Mm -hmm. so when you looked at the statue of baal or whatever you were looking at his representative in this realm if that makes sense in in our reality and so later on we'll get into it but when God is talking to the Israelites, he tells them, make no images of me, right? I don't want any stone. I don't want any wood. Partially, I think, because he doesn't want them fixating on that rather than going to him. But I think more importantly, he's already created his image. And it's not made of stone. It's not made of wood. Uh, it's made of human beings, right? That God has created a temple. A temple is the place where the God dwells, right? His space in our space overlap and we'll get into that a bit more but God has created his image bearers already so we are basically the whole idea is we were meant to be God's image in his temple his representative his people that would act on his behalf act in his way of life in his way of love that we would represent him in his created temple so yeah do you have any thoughts on that man yeah, I just, I just like the way you, you put it. I just feel like it's a very, very interesting way of just looking at it. And I just feel like one, one of the biggest thing, one of the big mistakes we always do is just we bring uh, a lot of, which is, I feel like the Bible is trying to do both. You know, it's trying to, I just feel like God is trying to bring how the world he made work, you know, and just trying to make him a little bit adjust so that we can understand a little bit, a little bit of him. But also, he is a very different person, you know, that we 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 can't understand him looking at the looking at how the way how or how the world worked right now. Mm. So I just feel like uh, this the the temple is just God coming and trying to do that. But mm. sometimes it's just like oh. Why God is time? Where the time it doesn't work for God, and then but the time here works in a different way. No, yeah. you can't mix these two things. Yeah, I, and I think you bring up a really important point in the fact that to be an image, um, in the human sense, it, it's two ways, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that you know clearly in the biblical narrative where we just read, God is giving dominion over all of the earth to humanity. Yes. And I think sometimes, you know, depending on who you are, that might make you cringe a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, you want us to subjugate it. It sounds like you're, like, enslaving creation. But in reality, at this point in the narrative, before sin has entered into the world, before humanity has broken any 
promises or relationship with God, the intention would really be that humanity, while taking creation's mm. praise and glory and purpose and raising that up as worship to God, right? Mm. So reflecting, we like to say reflecting upward, right, to God. So sum, summing up all of God's creation and lifting up praise to him. Also, if we're reflecting God's image into creation, the subjugating or the dominion over creation would be the kind of dominion that God wants to rule, right? So it's not what we see, like you say, now. We can't look at the picture of what humanity is now and say, there's God, yeah. because it wouldn't be a God you'd want to follow. But the point is that in our proper role, if we really are in line and relationship with God in the way that we were created to be, it's not so much us taking control of the world and forming it as we want, mm -hmm. but reflecting God's purposes, God's love, God's image into creation and ruling it as he would. And, you know, as we go through the story, especially when we get to the person of Jesus, we get the full image of what that actually yeah, looks like, yeah. right? The Genesis narrative is not as clear on what that would look like or how long Adam and Eve were around before uh, the next part of the story happens. But the whole idea is that human beings were meant to represent God mm -hmm. his, with his love for the creation he had made. And he invites us into that. That's yeah. what's so exciting. Yeah. And for me, like one of the questions that I, 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 I always get uh, in these sarcastic people, you know, and everything. <laughs> so I just feel like uh, maybe you can go through that. Is So is he got this lazy person <laughs> which is like, oh, I have this yeah. place, this big place, you know, I don't want to take care of it. So I just want, I'm going to hand to the human. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the Q&As aren't it? supposed to start to look <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think that's kind of a looking at the question in a cynical way, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, because all of us, I think built inside of us uh, is a desire for purpose, a desire for meaning, a desire to work in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's overworking and all those things. But all of us are built kind of with this desire that we want our lives to to contribute to something, yeah. to be creative, right? Mm -hmm. And I think at this point in the narrative, it isn't that God is lazy. It's that God wants to invite out of love, again, mm -hmm. in if we're created in his image, to take part in what he's doing, right? To co-labor with us, as you would say. So God is a creative God, and he's created a creative people. you know. And one of the things he says is be fruitful and multiply yes. and fill the earth. Um, and so the whole idea is not that we're just supposed to stick in one place, but it's go explore and yeah. create, you know, see what I have made and enjoy it, right? Just like you wouldn't take someone to, you know, Hawaii and say, well, you're just lazy. You just dropped me off at Hawaii. You know what I mean? Like, and no, God wants to go to this paradise with us. He wants us to experience it. He made it because he loves us, not because he's lazy and he's like, I don't want to take care of this mess, you know, especially at this point in the narrative really there isn't a lot of hard work yes. that has to take place right yeah and i feel like that's that also that idea comes from this perspective that we have of work right now mm. you know because we're working for this guy you know as earn a lot of money you know and just come and just say hey do this for me you know and if you do this perfectly my company is, is gonna earn gonna earn a lot of i will gonna i will earn a lot of money and i'll give you a piece of this you know so we have that same idea when we come to read uh, the story of creation, like, ah, it's just one an another boss, you know, yeah. but it's literally not, that's mm. not exactly what's happening, you know, but it's just this father inviting us to enjoy this amazing place and take ownership, you know, in this place, you know, it's just, it's, it's not just someone's company, you know, but he's saying, hey, yeah. 
you were part of this, you know. This is something that you go and take care of this as if it's your thing, you know. Yeah. And that changes uh, a lot of things. And I think you touched on something really, really important. It's the perspective on how you see God. Because if you see God as a boss, mm -hmm. as just this guy who wants to tell you what to do, to control your life, to manipulate you, then you don't see love in that. Yes. But if you see God as a father, then correction from a father is something that we receive because we understand it's coming from a place mm -hmm. of love. Now, I understand there are manipulative fathers, there's coercive fathers, there's negligent fathers, but if we see God as a perfect father, a father who is always, his every intention is so that we can grow in love, mm -hmm. to be formed into a person that's healthy, a person that can thrive, a person that really is someone that people want to be around, honestly, yeah. then I think any correction, any rebuke, any sort of, uh, you know, command is always meant filtered, we should filter it at least, through this is for my good, yes. even if it's painful for me right now. So we kind of have this big picture, right? So in Genesis 1, I believe Genesis 2 is kind of where the story takes a darker twist. Um, but so far we have this beautiful garden, right? It's perfect, there's nothing really wrong, and there's this almost this sense of like a story to come. I think a lot of people think the whole idea is we have to get back to Eden, but really Eden is a beginning. Eden is not a finish. It is the start of something exciting, the start of the God project, if you will, right? Um, and so there's kind of this sense of like Adam gets to name all these animals, that there's this mission that we're meant to spread out, we're meant to see this whole creation come under God's rule through human, human beings reflecting his love. Um, but there is one caveat that's put in there. And, you know, we can touch on the theological implications. I want to get too wrapped up on it. But there's this tree, right? There's two trees, actually. There's the, the tree of everlasting life or eternal life. And then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so I think this is a good place to take a quick break. Um, and we'll maybe discuss a little bit about what exactly those are, what do they represent, were they real trees? Yeah, yeah. Paula will tell us. No. <laughs> um, but I yeah. was there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take a quick break and then we'll dive into the next part of the story. Hey guys, this is Jake. If you are currently a university student on a campus in Botswana, we want to extend an invitation to you to get plugged into a discipleship group. So if you're interested, if that's something you want to do, if you want to begin to be a part of this family we call Kingdom Movement, we would encourage you to go into this episode's bio. There should be a link to our Instagram page. You can send us a message, and we will make sure to connect to you at a time and a place that works best for you and your schedule for school. But we don't want you to miss this opportunity to get plugged in and a part of what God is doing on the university campuses here because we believe that you're a vital piece to what God wants to do to bring his kingdom, his wholeness, and his healing to the nation of Botswana and to the university specifically. So reach out to us today, guys, if that's something you're interested in. All right, thanks. Hey, guys, uh, we're back. And for this kind of next segment in the biblical story, um, we are kind of reaching the part where traditionally it is called the fall. So the fall of humanity, kind of the fall from grace, if you will, if you've heard that term before. But um, basically, the story, this part of the story at least, starts out with this 
two trees like we talked about right before we took the break the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which adam and eve are basically commanded do not take from this or you know you're gonna die right and bad things are gonna happen uh, and then there's another tree which is the tree of life right and basically it's hinted at that if as long as adam and eve stay around the street they're never forbidden to eat it i don't know if they had been continually eating it um but basically they wouldn't die right that death wouldn't be a part of their experience um and so that begs a lot of questions you know what i mean and what exactly these were were they actual trees were they a biblical image of something else but basically it comes down to this idea of you know you, you talked about the boss before the break right yeah. And the boss would just tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. But the loving father seems to be giving Adam and Eve an option. Basically to say, I've given you this mission. I've given you this purpose. And you can trust me to be your guide for what is right and wrong, right? That I will lead you into this good purpose. All you need to do is trust me. But there's another option, right? This option to define good and evil for yourselves. To gain that knowledge and to basically become God, you know, to take on the role of God for yourselves. And so this is kind of the two options that are presented to Adam and Eve. Um, And yeah, do you want to maybe share what happens next? Yeah. uh, So, yeah, I just feel like this is just the first uh, way that God said, like, hey, I'm not your boss. I'm not this kind of person who's, yeah, who's going to just make you do things. You're not just this robot, you know, Mm -hmm. who's kind of following a group of rules but you have a you have a responsibility to to choose to trust or not but unfortunately uh what happened is in that humanity uh take either way you know take the opportunities like no we wanna we we have this snake that this snake that comes and we won't discuss if it's a snake or not and everything yeah. all this question but that comes and brings this light to 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 humanity is like no it's not because you you, you will die, but it's because you'll have this knowledge. Mm. Uh, you will become like God. So human beings are like, oh, do I still want, do I, do, do yeah. I want to trust on God? Or do I want to be like him and just, you know, move on in, in, in my life? And I think there's a super important underlying question that all of us, and I think even the Bosco, we keep going back to that, has this baseline of what the enemy or the serpent whispered. And he says, did God really say that? And behind that is this this idea is, is God really trustworthy? Is what God says really the best thing for you? Do you really believe that? Or is he the boss Mm -hmm. that is holding something out from you because, you know, whether he wants it for himself or he wants the control over your life. And so in every human heart from that moment till now, we have to wrestle with that question. Do we trust God Mm -hmm. to lead us in the garden? Do we really believe his intentions for us are good or do we not, right? And do we feel like we need to take matters into our own hands? And so that's the lie. Eve believes what probably most of us, if we're honest, have believed at one point is I need to take this into my, I need to know for myself, right? Um, Find out if this God really is holding out on me. And so we see the result in the story. Um, I think it's really interesting that the first thing that happens is they recognize that they're naked, right? Yes. That there's this idea of this innocence, a childlike innocence, 
You know, my daughter. <laughs> I think of the example of my daughter continually likes to pull up her dress yeah. and show uh, anyone who's willing her brand new undies that she just bought. <laughs> and I have to tell her, no, honey, that's not appropriate. We got to put the dress down. Um, but it's an innocence. There's not a, for her, it's no big deal. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I got some new clothes I want to show you. Yeah. I'm excited. There's not this brokenness, this dirtiness, this mm-hmm. uh, whatever you want to call it that gets associated as we get older, we get understanding. Um, and it's almost like this childlike innocence is lost all yeah. of a sudden by not trusting God, mm-hmm. which is, you know, interesting, right? That by not trusting God, by not believing what He says, we actually lose something. We don't gain something, right? Yeah. And I feel like uh, there's this, this thing that goes out there. And just people saying, you know, we grew up with this hate mm-hmm. on Adam and Eve, you know. And men, like sometimes men just hate women. They're like, oh, woman, you guys betrayed it. You guys brought these fruit and then we ate and all these things, you know. But we also forget that even they started it, but we still kind of like just continue to have that responsibility you know just we continue to make the bad decisions you know one 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 thing i was listening to uh, a podcast and they were saying like if people didn't watch porn you know mm. the porn the, the porn industry wouldn't make that much money and they wouldn't attract that much people you know yeah but because we choose to continue continually go and watch and put our money and put our time on it you know and then they start generating all this amount of money you know and people you know have really greedy people really want to get rich easily you know that's why they go into that you know so i just feel like we forget that we have a response. We are, we are still contributing to the evil, you know, to this cycle yeah. of choosing not to trust God, you know. Yeah. And then we just put the blame on Adam and Eve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Almost shirking the responsibility of our own personal obedience. Yeah, and um, so the narrative, basically what happens, we'll kind of fast forward. Eve blames the serpent, um, and then Adam blames Eve, mm-hmm. and God basically is heartbroken, right? The human project uh, is off to a rough start. And so basically what happens is Adam and Eve have made this decision. And so God is in his love and mercy. Maybe it doesn't seem like that to some, but he says, you know, you can't stay in the garden. Um, that if you were to live forever in this kind of state, like, it's just not good. You know what I mean? There's something, there's broken relationship. And I think all of us can relate to that at some level. Um, that when broken relationship happens, there is a fracture. No matter how much there's love and care and compassion for the other person, there is uh, broken trust in a sense. And so God in his mercy kicks them out of the garden, um, places a cherubim, right? Or a flaming sword. I don't remember exactly what the image is, to guard the garden. You know, all this could be... Uh, Biblical imagery, we don't know. We weren't there. We don't have a video camera telling us. But I think something that's really, really cool and in a way points to what God is going to continually do throughout the story is he makes a covering for them. So Adam and Eve find some leaves, some inadequate clothing for themselves, right, to try and cover up their shame. And you imagine that uh, it's a pretty put poorly put together job. Yeah. But God, this is, it doesn't specifically say sacrifice, but God kills an animal to make a clothing for Adam and Eve's shame. So there's already, at the very beginning of the story, this idea that sacrifice is going to be needed in order to cover man's shame. And the relationship between creation, between God, between humanity, is now in this cycle of 
brokenness, right? And it's going to take um, something massive to restore it. And so Adam and Eve, they go out. Childbearing's painful now. The crops are going to be hard to grow. And they have some sons, right? And so Cain and Abel are their names. And even this, right? You think, okay, maybe they can pull it together. Maybe they can figure it out. But then whatever has gone on in the human heart, you know, passes to these two young men, yes. you know? Yeah. And uh, in, in the heart of this story of Cain and Abel. Abel. Okay, my Portuguese is Abel. What's it? Abel. Yes, Abel <laughs> in Portuguese. So in Abel. So yeah, um, in this heart, like there's this this one one where what God says I forgot the verse, but it says like watch out, you know, mm. Cain, because the sin is crawling and the sin comes in this like just whispering, you know, and then calling you, you know, to 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 do all these bad things, you know, and I just feel like that's a really great image, you know, because we have always have this this voice that comes and call us, you know, to ah oh, come. Do this, you know, steal that, you know, mm. take that money and everything, you know. And then we just have this, this, this story. It's so sad story. Uh, the first death in the Bible, and these two brothers, you know, and they 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 plant one and one take care of animal, and then one it's uh, it works in agriculture, and so they they decide, oh, let's let's give let's sacrifice to God, you know, mm. and then we and then they sacrifice to God, and then. This guy, the, 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 the brother, he looks to his brother like, oh, God took, God, God took his, his uh, received his uh, sacrifice. And God didn't react the same way with my sacrifice, you know. And then with that jealousy, he's like, no, it's not my fault. It's not, mm-hmm. no, it's not my fault. It's not my thing. It's just this guy is the one who's coming in front you know, and, and stealing my connection with God. And then he just decided to take, um, to take, the, the, his brother's his brother's life, and then one interesting thing, God is just like I heard the blood of your of your of your brother, you know, mm. crying, you know, calling me, you know, and we have this really bad story. Yeah, I think yeah, there's several heartbreaking and interesting uh, aspects that are going on. And one thing that just came into my mind that I don't think I've ever thought about before is we often think that once Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden that God's presence has abandoned them. Mm-hmm. But in reality, he is still speaking even to their children, trying to bring them back to some sort of semblance to what he wants to do. And he's warning Cain, you know, like the same temptation, the same lie, the same whisper is going to come to you. And I think you make a really good point that um, Cain was unwilling to find fault in himself. Yes. And, you know, a lot of times we think, well, that was unfair that God didn't accept you know, his offering when he accepted uh, his brothers. But the reality is, is that God told him beforehand, you know, like, this is what I want from you. This is what I desire from you. And he was unable to see in himself what needed to to be presented before the Lord. And um, so God still in his mercy, though, says you have to leave. But he says, I will go with you. Right. And there's a really, really interesting series. I haven't finished it yet. Um, by the Bible Project, so we'll probably mention them quite a bit in this podcast. Um, And they're great. They're great about the nitty-gritty details as well. So they do this whole series on a city, um, and basically um, this narrative of the city, what did it mean within the biblical narrative. And so basically God says, you're going to have to get put out, um, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to protect you. 
but Cain instead goes and he builds a city, right? Um, we won't go into who are the people that he's building a city with, blah, blah, blah. You know, that, again, I'm sure Bible Project has some great resources for that. I'm not an expert. Um, but anyways, biblical narrative is trying to make the point that instead of relying on the Lord to provide, Cain once again finds a way to provide for himself, right? Because cities, especially back in those days, were always meant to be about uh, protection, right? You gathered together with people so that raiders, bandits, you know, wild animals couldn't attack you, right? And that was Cain's concern when he left uh, his family is, you know, who's going to stop people from just taking advantage of me? And so he, again, takes matters into his own hands, right? And then eventually his son or great-grandson or whatever um nimrod with a name that's a bad guy (laughs) yeah we'll let you read the story for yourself about him but he essentially builds this city called babel yeah Uh, and babel becomes basically the archetype of human pride uh and something that's really interesting and is a part of bible project series on city um babel is eventually babylon Right, the, yes. and we'll get into Babylon later on in the narrative. But Babylon kind of becomes this archetype of human pride, mm-hmm. of human rebellion against God, of human hubris trying to do it on their own. And so Babel, from the beginning of the narrative, exists. And what do they do? Right, they build a tower to get it up into heaven, basically um, saying, "Look how great we are." Um, and the other issue is, what was the the biblical command? Right? Yes, to go out and fill the earth. You know, and then, yeah, but then we just have this group of people who are just sitting in this one place. They're not going out. They're not filling the earth. They're not taking care of all of the mission uh, that God gave them. You know, take the ownership of this amazing place God made, you know, and go out there, you know, and enjoy and cultivate and do all these things. But they know they're not doing that. Just a lot of will just sit in this one specific place and we will build the place and I will just, yeah, just yeah. sit around. And I think there's something really um, powerful about this idea that God created human beings. The whole point of creation was that because we are made in God's image, creation works when we are working in our proper role. But that power, that authority that God has given us as his image bearers isn't revoked Mm -hmm. even in our rebellion. And so in our pride, in our hubris, in our um, ability to do things on our own, we can create, right? But it is almost a mockery of what God intended. Mm. Um, And instead of creating a beautiful garden, we create stinky, smelly, you know, disease-ridden cities full of pride. Um, So God sees this. He's concerned that if humanity continues on in this way, um, that nothing could oppose their will, right? Mm. And, you know, just like modern-day cities today, a lot of things go on that destroy the environment, that take advantage of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't think it's just God saying, oh, man, these guys are going to be as good as me. I better knock them down a peg. He recognizes uh, in humanity's pride what they think they're accomplishing really will lead to destruction, right? And so he, at this point, uh, where he would rather work with humanity for his purposes— he has to work against them. Mm-hmm. And so he confuses their languages, um, and so they can't work together. So what do they do? They can't live together anymore because they can't communicate, so they scatter. They they fulfill what God has asked them to do, but not by the means and way that God mm-hmm. wants them to. And unfortunately, that kind of 
thread of darkness follows the rest of the biblical narrative of that God wants to work with his people, but they continually um, choose to go their own way. And so God has to work against them rather than with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll see why, why that's important, why he should work against them to bring about his purposes. But we kind of get to the end of the Genesis account. Um, and I think the last big one, and I want to mention too, there are people within this narrative that are following God, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. But it's a remnant. It's this small amount. And this idea of remnant is throughout the Bible as yeah. well. It's another theme of there's these small groups of people or individuals that are still trusting God, even when the surrounding world has kind of done its own thing. And so the last kind of story we get to in Genesis um, is this idea of, or not idea, but this story of Noah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, so we have this really bad place uh, with really bad people, you know, they're just destroying everything, you know, they're, they're greedy people. And I just, I just like the image you, you, you brought in, the image of just read this really bad city, you know, just like it's, it, it, it's a really messed, messed up uh, community. So yeah, we have all these people who are really uh, distant from God, uh, in the way of like they have nothing in their identity, you know, that can that can you can see oh there's someone, there's a God, there's a loving God uh, that is working on them, you know. So we have all these people, you know, that just filling this earth and then but also we have this guy who is who decides like no I'll not just do things uh, the way everyone else is doing. I wanna be closer to this God. You know, and God see this person is like uh, and then he decides to, how can I say? He decides to uh, restart, recreate. It's kind of the story of, of, of the story of the flood is more the story of recreation of God deciding like, you know, I will just go back to, to, to Genesis 1 mm-hmm. because we have this, in Genesis 1, we have the story of the water, you know, and then these old cows, you know, and then God coming with the water and then creating the earth, you know, yeah. and then God just kind of bringing the water, you know, to destroy all the bad things and then restarting the creation and destroy the evil and all the things. So we have God tells this guy and... Uh, tell this guy to build the ark, you know, and then he will protect him, you know. He gives him all the details, you know, even the door. The door is so big that he can't even close it, you know. Yeah. And God is the one who comes and closes it, you know, just to let him know, like, hey, this is m- my thing, you know. This is that I am doing this, you know. You were just here, has someone who work with me, you know. I'm giving you the plan. I'm giving you how to do, you know. So it just brings this partnership between human and God, the yeah. thing that everyone else was not doing, you know. And then he says, I will bring, I'll even bring the animals to you, you know, you don't have to go and just call all the animals and everything, yeah. you know. So it's this amazing partnership. And then they go, they're going to this boat, this weird boat, big and weird boat <laughs> and everything. And then God just brings the rain and then he saves this, this, this family, this guy and his family. Yeah. And I misspoke. It's not the end of Genesis with the Noah account. It's no, at the no, very no, beginning. No, 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 uh, yeah. And we'll get into more of Genesis. I wanted to read this because it's the description the Bible gives of the state of the earth when it comes to Noah. It said, so the earth had become devastated. So the actual physical earth was devastated, the Bible says, before God. The earth was full of violence. God looked at the earth. There it had become devastated because all flesh had devastated its way on the earth. So basically it's this image that the earth is actually ravished, like 
decim it's a decimate place because of humanity's state, right? So it's this idea of like humanity was not reflecting God's image, and so instead of the garden, which was one centralized place, filling the earth, right? The earth becoming the garden of Eden. Um, it's become a wasteland yeah. because humanity's all they want to do is take, all they want to do is steal, all they are is jealous and greedy. But I think it's really cool. It said when describing Noah, it says Noah acted in accordance with all that God had ordered. Yes. So it's like there's this one guy left, right, that is willing to be that image mm -hmm. bearer still, even though the earth is devastated. And God, like you said, um, basically says, "All right, I'm going to try and restart with this yeah. guy," you know. Um, but it's it's again the Noah story is heartbreaking because we yeah. get out of the ark and immediately what does Noah do? He gets drunk, you know. Like the first thing human beings do after being on that boat for forty days and nights is go get wasted. And then his son, you know, it's a bit ambiguous. I'm not, you know, a uh, Hebrew scholar by any means, but I think it has something to do with something sexual. Um, it, basically the narrative says he sees him naked so whatever that means you know and yeah. his two sons walk in backwards and lay a blanket on him but there's already as they get off the boat like or the ark rather uh this idea that no whatever god washed away is still in the heart of human beings um and it kind of leaves you as the reader feeling like god you had to flood the earth just to redeem it and restore it and get it to a place that it could actually go forward but it there's still something deeply broken and wrong. What are you going to do, right? Like, yeah. what is going to happen? And I think the answer is very surprising. We'll explore it in the next episode um, with this idea of the call of Abraham, yeah. the call of Israel, these special people, the Exodus narrative. Um, but I think it's only surprising when we don't understand what God's intention yeah. for his creation is. Because if we're made in his image, and God has created us and created creation to only function and work when humanity is in its proper role, then God has to use human beings or desires to use human beings to bring about his purposes, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. God will not work outside of those bounds because he has chosen to bound himself to us. And I think that that idea is throughout the Bible, yeah. you know, because we can say, why doesn't God just laser beam things or make things happen but God has bound himself to us in such a way that he will not work in creation without including us yes. you know what I'm saying yeah. not because God isn't strong enough or whatever but his love has said I want to include you and you are a part of the redemption process you are a part of the things that need redeeming you know what I mean and so we get left at this part of the story where it's like okay God what are you going to do next right what is your answer to this mm -hmm. world that we're surrounded with yeah. Any final thoughts, bro? Yeah, I think this is a really good, 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 good place to just stop with that question because even at the at the end of the story of of uh, of the flood, you know, God is the one who put himself into like in a very tricky situation, you know, by just saying that I will not do this again, mm -hmm. you know. So just you have this question, okay, God, you said you will not flood the earth again, you know, you will not recreate everything again. But then the evil is still here, you know, mm. the, the people, people still choose to do things, you know, just people still have this greedy thing, you know, they go and all these things. So what are you going to do? You know, so what's the plan now since recreation is not the plan? So what's the plan now? Yeah. And so that question will uh, 
dive into in our next episode um, and look at the the family of Abraham, right? Mm-hmm. The call yes. of Abraham and what that means, what God was doing with that. But till then, guys, um, stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying your week. Hopefully it's not exam week. I don't know exactly when this episode will come out, but uh, uh, we're praying for you, Kingdom Movement family, and we will see you next episode. Yep. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone, this is just a brief reminder that if you've had a question come up from this discussion or you just have a question in general that you want to ask us on the podcast, uh, now is the time to do it. We want to make sure that we get these questions in for the end of the season Q&R and we cannot wait to hear your guys' questions, to read them, and to be able to respond. But we can't do that unless you send them to us. So make sure if you're a part of Kingdom Movement already, you can personally message us your question Or you can send them via our Instagram and we will make sure to read those and hopefully we will answer your question on the season finale question and answer uh, question and response episode. All right. Thanks, guys.